Welcome to Digisection, a podcast about building great digital health companies and the strategies behind them. My name's Oscar. I'm a physician, inventor, and entrepreneur, and I'll be your host. The following is a conversation with Eugene Boruhovich, who's a serial intra and entrepreneur, executive, venture builder, speaker, and board advisor with a focus in digital health. Eugene is a chairman and COO at Your Coach Health. Prior to Your Coach, Eugene served as a global head of digital health at Bayer, and he has also co-founded and sold a doctorating startup and a consulting company. Eugene is one of the kindest and most inspiring people I had the pleasure to meet in the digital health world. Hi, Eugene. It's so cool to see you today. Thank you for joining. It's a pleasure. I know we just reconnected recently, so it's good yeah. to uh, to be on this podcast. Thank you for the invite. Where does this podcast find you? Uh, still in Barcelona. Today is beautiful and sunny, so uh, you know this is why we picked this place. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect location for a healthcare conversation. Eugene, I know you for quite some time, I would say even four, maybe even five years, but could you talk to us and tell our listeners about your past experience and what made you interested in digital health? Yeah, absolutely. I actually started many, many years ago in sort of technology arena, right? I kind of mm -hmm. joke around that I grew up as a techie, but I very quickly realized that, yes, technology is an important enabler and a game changer, but unless you put technology to use in, you know, in front of people to either help mm -hmm. them or change their behaviors ultimately, then the technology is useless, right? There's a lot, a lot of things that are sitting to the sidelines. So I think earlier, in my career, I became, let's say, commercially focused, you know, technologist. So I know when I started in the health and health tech industries, because my daughter, who is 18, I started a week before she was born. Mm -hmm. So it's been about 18 years. I started at a pharmacy benefit management company in US called Medco Health at the time. And I've spent 10 years and multitude of roles in that company, including what brought me and the family over to back to this side of the pond, meaning the European side of it. While I was there, meaning at Metco and still in New York City area, I started what became Health 2.0 New York City chapter of the Health 2.0 movement, which is obviously now bought out by HIMSS. And I think it was chapter number two. And that's where I met at the time my co-founder, who I joined uh, as a joke around one-man garage show, Dan Kogan, on a journey of building Health World Web, which is one of the earlier doctorating services. We ended up selling that mm -hmm. about a year and a half after I joined. And then that's when I took the CIO role to move to Amsterdam. Uh, with So I was doing actually two you know, two 20-hour days, <laughs> you know, go, going into the office. Um, you know, fast forward, uh, spent some time in uh, my own consulting company. We decided to stay in Amsterdam, sold that company to a larger consulting group, came on board to run their P&L, and then three and a half years at Bayer or Bayer, where I was running the digital health team. And I joke around, lost most of my hair. And now joined back into the entrepreneurship world with my wife building Your Coach Health. By the way, our hairstyle is pretty much the same. 
(laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Go to the same barber. Exactly. That's right. And so I'd love today to explore the world of digital therapeutics. You're running one of the most popular podcasts in that field. Most of my colleagues and founders who are digital health founders specifically, like totally enjoy this podcast and also get to know many important facts about either companies or market opportunities or latest trends. So tell me, Eugene, why did you start the podcast about digital therapeutics and what made you particularly interested in the DTX space? Yeah. So first of all, thank you for such great feedback. This is great to know. And it has been an amazing journey uh, working with Dan Kendall and the production team there at Digital Health Today and Mission-Based Media. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll probably just back up a little bit, right? You know, what actually got me started and why actually entered a big pharma company, right? I think part of this, I I always had the question that absolutely taking pills, aka molecules, it's been working, it's been improving our lives, the length of our lives, the quality of our lives for decades, right, as an industry. But could there be more, right? And when I was entering Bayer in 2016, that was sort of my big question. And when I was asked, like, what does digital health mean to Mm -hmm. you? And said, well, come and figure it out, right? And so I think to me, when we look at different modalities, the moment that I've even heard about digital therapeutics, I looked at it as a very much of a different modality that uh, the industry can leverage to either, you know, help treat, prevent, or manage a disease, right? My focus was much more, or my head was much more interested in can it be a standalone, right? Which mm-hmm. is, you know, some of the challenges around pharma and having some of these modalities of standalone. I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on that. So that got me interested. I then saw Megan Coder at Frontiers Health in Berlin, I think in 2017, when they were launching the Digital Therapeutic Alliance. Mm-hmm. And I literally, <laughs> I think we, we even on the episode uh, sort of reminisced a little bit about that. I literally jumped up and I said, you know what? We'll figure out how to do this internally, meaning at Bayer, but uh, I want to be the first. We want to be driving this with you guys. And she jokes around that there was not even a way to for her to produce a purchase order just yet, right? So <laughs> so that was fun. That got me interested, and that's the background on it. Okay, so you're kind of the first mover from the pharma side. I'll be frank with you. I don't know. You know, I think there were a lot of people involved and even invested in some of the companies that I've been interviewing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from a DTA perspective, it just seemed like a logical thing to do. So I, you know, I know people are trying to claim who invented the word digital therapeutics. I don't want to claim that I was first or not. It's kind of irrelevant, right? But certainly <laughs> wanted the team to work on that while I was at Bayer. And could you tell us more about like the definition of DTX? There are many of my colleagues, physicians, who actually you know, don't know about DTX or don't understand what is behind that name. So first of all, I would recommend all of your physician friends to listen to my podcast <laughs> because that will take them through it. Um, you know, so there's the official definition of by the Digital Therapeutic Alliance. And uh, we did have both uh, Megan and Jessica Schull on the show on the DTX podcast. The official definition is a DTX is something that delivers a medical intervention mm-hmm. directly. You know, the definition says something like directly to patients. I would actually challenge that I think health consumer because because to me, well, I'll finish it, that uses actually evidence-based, you know, clinically validated and evaluated software. And this is the interesting part, to treat, manage, or even prevent. And so, mm-hmm. especially when we talk about prevent, I actually would extend the definition from just patient to a health consumer, because
because if I'm in the prevention mode, I'm not a patient yet or not a, for a particular mm-hmm. one. So I've been challenging the DTA a little bit on that in general for a number of years, just from a, I know we're taking the patient-centric approach, which is needed, mm-hmm. but also I see a huge value in DTXs in prevention. So, but we can also pause on that. And before we have a deep dive into DTX, I'll just ask you, are there any main takeaways from running your DTX podcast? Where are we currently in terms of, of the trends in that field? Yeah. So honestly, probably too many to list. It's been a fascinating journey. And I always said when I started the podcast that I am not a practitioner in DTX, mm-hmm. right? It's the teams that are building it, running it, you know, really banging their head against the wall, right? M- moving things <laughs> around. They're the ones that are on the ground. And that was sort of my interest to even interview a lot of these trailblazers and leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what I would say is I think People look at, well, digital, right? And especially as it compared to pharma, you know, 10 to 12 years to bring a drug out, you know, one to two billion, you know, those numbers constantly change and rise, et cetera. The reality is if you look at some of the early companies and granted they had a lot more to do to even sort of create the industry or sub-industry of digital therapeutics, it wasn't just launching a product, right? But if you look at Akili, I think their, you know, series A or some of the early Earlier rounds were in 2012. Mm-hmm. Pair Therapeutics, I think, also 2012. WellDoc is probably the longest lived one from 2015, but they're a little bit of an outlier. I would sorry, 2005. They're a little bit of an outlier. Happify as an, another example, got started in 2012, 11-ish, right? So the point and one of the key lessons that I've learned is it still takes about a decade to get a not just a product out, right? Mm-hmm. A a digital therapeutic and build a business around it, which still to a certain extent, you know, some of the companies that I mentioned, while they're starting to commercialize, we're not at scale yet, right? So that's probably one lesson learned in short that it still takes about a decade to create a digital therapeutic company and start getting it commercialized. I think those cycles will shorten over time. And I think we're starting to see them shorten now. No getting away, nor you should want to get away from clinical validation, and we'll talk about it as far as the channels are concerned. And finally, I think still we're very long away from mass adoption, which we can also peel the onion on um, if interested. So those are probably three sort of takeaways. There's much more, but I just recorded actually the last episode, um, I don't know when this will air, with Brian Dolan, and he joked around that he should have interviewed me on my lessons learned instead of me. So I will point him to this podcast (laughs) to listen to our interview about my lessons learned on it. Um, Yeah, by the way, Brian Dolan is amazing and and his exits and outcomes... um, uh, website. So yep. let us kind of try to understand the pharma perspective on this. You know, it's always exciting for me to try to understand the strategies behind big corporates, especially when it comes to pharma. So could you tell us more about the relationship between pharma and DTX and what is the state of art and, you know, the key priorities for pharma companies? Yeah. Um, in order to answer that, maybe I'll just give a quick sort of my view of the world. And I know, again, you know, Brian uh, with Exit and Outcomes did a whole report with Health Excel and prescription digital mm-hmm. therapeutics as well, which was great and deep. I'm trying to keep things a bit even more simpler in a sense. Um, you know, I look at a completely new modality. So something that will, via software, really change your I'll say biological system, right? So things like Achille, for example, you play a game, it literally Mm -hmm. 
changes your biology, right? As you're playing the game to treat a particular disease. Then I look at cognitive behavioral therapies that have been there, but now being digitized. And again, there's many of those type of companies, right? And that I believe still requires, you know, I'll say self-motivation or humans around to help you be motivated, right? And then there's, um, I would almost say, additionally standalone businesses that take all of these components and technologies and also offer services on top of that, right? As I've been calling my podcast, Disease Management Mm 2.0. I wanted to set my view of this as to sort of how do you look at this as a pharma company, right? And again, you can't put a logo to a pharma company. I think there's champions in each of the organizations that are driving certain things. But if you're a pharma company and what you know is creating molecules, large or small, or mm-hmm. other new modalities, let's say mRNA, right? As the new, mm-hmm. yes, it's been around, but the new famous newcomer given the <laughs> COVID situation. You know, if I look at, uh, if I'm a pharma executive, I'm looking at a standalone, something like an Achille, for example, right? And saying, well, I either have have drugs in the pipeline for that disease, and this is a competitor of mine Mm -hmm. down the road, and or a potential acquisition target later down the road if I cannot come up, my pipeline is empty on this, this is what I'm focusing, and they're now generating revenues that are you know, good size revenues. I don't believe there should be any drug launched, and I know the, the industry has been using this drug plus And I've actually said this before, the reason Mm -hmm. that there's still the word drug is because it says drug plus, right? Beyond the pill, the word pill is still in there. I do think this is the biggest gap from talent perspective is how do you combine this deep, deep and long vetted knowledge in creating molecules, bringing them to market, right? You know, the rigorous clinical trials and the digital therapeutics or digital technologies as assistance. Those are two, what I would say, different mindsets also. And how do you bring them together? Right. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the biggest gap for pharma because their core business is still the molecule. As far as the third part that I mentioned earlier, the kind of standalone business, I mean, the reality reality is, if you look at, you know, for pharma as a core business, it's also could be a conflict of interest to run a service that may or may not prescribe certain drugs, etc. So it gets more of a strategic or financial ROIs and investment for many, but not so much as an operational P&L ultimately. So, you know, in short, I think pharma has woken up and again, I've been out for almost a year and a half now, right? So things change the moment you leave. I always joke around, right? The DNA of the company, while <laughs> not necessarily completely edited out, right? Not crispered as people leave in and out, it stays for a while, right? DNA of different companies. Um, I think there's de- been definitely investment from you know a corporate venture uh, fund perspective into DTX. I think they've been announced a number of partnerships that are pretty large and in charge. <laughs> Um, and sort of start mimicking the molecular deals that we've been seeing in pharma Mm -hmm. for many years. And, you know, I think in short, pharma has woken up. I still think there's question marks on what does it really mean for us as an industry? Because if, you know, just we're now starting to see the pricing coming out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for the most part, you know, can a DTX business match $5 in revenue for a mass drug? I not sure, right? Um, I think that's a great question. I actually don't think so, right? Um, and so the question becomes in how serious mm-hmm. and where does pharma look? And I think it depends on a the size of the pharma company, their pipeline, and their I'll say centers of excellence where they focus, right? And where the digital therapeutics are 
sort of on the rise or not. Mm-hmm. And I think third, we're starting to see a mix of individuals. You can now literally say, and we've discussed this with Jonah Comstock on the Shadow of Digital Health, you can literally now say that there are experts right, have been around, come from pharma, been in digital health, you know, spun up businesses in DTX, et cetera, market access, clinical trials, et cetera. So I think we'll see in the next three years that relationship more from a frenemy relationship to really understanding how to, you know, leverage, you know, these new technologies for the sake of the patients. In this case, Mm -hmm. when I talk pharma, truly patients. Sure, sure. And actually, you said something that I wanted to ask you about, since you've mentioned the problem of, uh, you know, not having most cases, the right people driving the process of DTX development. Say there's someone listening to our podcast who's planning to start a new venture, a new company in that field, and this person would be the business part of the founding team. Where this person should look for a co-founder with the DTX knowledge? Should this be someone from pharma who converted into DTX? Or, you know, what kind of skills do we really need here? Yeah, you know, I think fundamentally, if you're starting a business from an idea as a business person, I think no matter, I wouldn't even specify this as mm-hmm. digital therapeutic, honestly, any digital health business, maybe if you rewind back, even I would say five, six years ago, I think it was okay to have, you know, a business person and maybe a couple Mm -hmm. of geeks in every positive word. I'm a geek myself. (laughs) Um, I don't think it's enough anymore, right? You really need a, you know, sort of cross expertise founding team Mm -hmm. from business to technology and absolutely from a clinical perspective, right? Because again, you know, to me, the success of a digital therapeutic or to be fair of any digital health company is still in evidence right because it's absolutely key component of driving mm-hmm. so where do you find that's a very very tough question you know i found my co-founder right here in this in this place in this apartment <laughs> we're actually in berlin so that was that was an easy one she found me actually that's the, the, very much the reverse um, that's a perfect match <laughs> yes it is it was a perfect match it still is and uh you know we're enjoying every moment of it so i think as any journey, as any ideas, any context, you need to a bit evangelize. I think, you know, people are looking, um, you know, because some of these companies that are growing beyond a small startup, some many individuals that know how to take it from zero to one, are not necessarily the ones that will take it from one to 10 or even one to 100, right? Or 10 to 100. I would think there's a lot of talent out there, you know, in the space already, right? Whether it's a pharma convert, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I would argue that you do want somebody, uh, there's a lot of wannapreneurs in pharma, right? That, you know, talk the big, big talk, would love mm-hmm. to do something, but then, you know, the cushiness of the corporate job keeps them there, which is okay. Everybody has their prerogatives and perspectives and mm-hmm. choices to make. Sure. Uh, let's get back now to the differences between the categories of DTX. I learned that we have like the wellness and support group of solutions, then the diagnostics and monitoring, and then the third group that is therapeutic intervention products. Could you talk to us about, you know, if there are any other groups we should mention and what are the key differences here? So I think if taking that sort of definition or the split of it, I wouldn't necessarily call it wellness, but maybe more in the preventative mm-hmm. Components so classify 
something like big health that can be preventative, also Happify as far as mental health. But also both of those solutions are not yet you know FDA approved, and I'm not sure which one is or is not going for the FDA. But certainly they have clinical studies and RCTs mm-hmm. like Big Health, as I found out, is one of the most studied companies out there in digital health. And so there are some studies saying that a big sleep sleepio for insomnia is better than a drug, right? Hmm. So in theory, they are treating that's just not FDA approved. From a diagnostic perspective, I mean, again, remember one of the key components of this is to deliver a medical intervention as it stands as a DTX definition today, which again, you know, we could challenge it, but that's mm-hmm. what it stands as an industry definition. I don't know if I would add any other ones. You know, finally, the actual treatment component, again, I would use something like a Cognito, right? I think the neurodegenerative space is probably, to me, is one of the most interesting spaces that can almost stand on its own, does not or may not need a drug, right, Mm -hmm. as a partner in that journey. So I think you probably covered them all as far as breaking this out into the three worlds. I can't come up with any other ones, but I don't think that's the question here anyway for me to start inventing (laughs) categories. By the way, you've mentioned before that it takes around 10 years from idea to taking a DTX product to the market. Is that really the average time of from idea to implementation? Yeah, I mean, look, um, I don't remember how, let's again, name some of the early, you mm-hmm. know, Click Therapeutics also was, I think, started around 2012, right? Clickatine, while they went to market, I think, a few years after, you know, I think I was really referring to building a business, you know, how profitable or not, or how much the business is generating. These are all private companies, we don't know. And to me, you know, the output or the outcomes um, that we're starting to see, you do see them in clinical trials and RCTs. Now we're talking about what's happening in the real world, right? That real world data that pharma is always hungry Mm -hmm. for. I think the digital therapeutic companies are starting to get very hungry for themselves and so are their investors, right? But again, you know, roughly let's look at WellDoc as an outlier from 2005, but all the other ones got started between 2011, 12, Mm -hmm. and then there's many newcomers. I do think that there are many, many, many lessons learned by these founding teams you know, going to market, developing it. And to me, the beautiful part about all of this is they're all able and willing to share their experiences. And so we're actually, you know, while the podcast will be coming to an end, it was limited series, you know, we will be continuing a lot of these discussions at the Health Excel DTX community. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, you know, Marty and team invited me to be one of the anchors in that community. And I'm still going to be fascinated by bringing many, many of these startups that I certainly got inbound because of the podcast to continue these discussions. Okay. By the way, to all listeners, I'll provide the direct link to Eugene's podcast in the show notes and resources. Okay. And so how about certifications? I guess that it's one of the key parts of developing a DTX, getting the FDA approval or another authority in a a different country. You know, is there any particular place where our listeners could learn more on that topic? Yeah, I mean, to be frank, the best location for any and all of this information would be the Digital Therapeutics Alliance, Mm -hmm. right? They're keeping track on everything from a regulatory perspective to even, I believe, they started tracking some of the outcomes and what's happening in the wild, or at least that was Mm -hmm. the plan that we at least talked about. So I would just check that. Um, You know, as far as I think 
clinical trials, let's again, I'll bring back, you know, big health, right? So they don't have Mm -hmm. an FDA approval, but they're the most studied company in digital health, or at least that's what the claim is, right? I think 13 or 15 RCTs and 50 plus studies overall, right? Peer reviewed. So, but they don't have an FDA approval. And to me, it's a hypothesis of a founding team. And again, you know, I don't want to say that they're drastically different from both drivers. I'll take Eddie Martucci from Achille and Peter Hames from Big Health. I think the vision that Peter had back in also 2012 or so, right, somewhere around there, was, you know, as an insomniac himself, that there could be a cognitive behavioral therapy that can help individuals make this much more accessible to everybody and much more accessible both from, you know, location, but also price perspective and have it validated. But he did not go the FDA route. And interestingly, you know, as he started direct to consumer, tried to work with NHS, hopped over to US. Now his main sort of business is employers, right? Again, while it's not required to have an FDA approval, I think clinical validation is important. So that's one. On the other side, and again, these are not good, bad, or indifferent, but this was, again, a Dimitucci from Achilles said, you know what, by playing a game, there's enough literature that I see already that we can build mm-hmm. a business that can actually help treat an ADHD and needs to be a prescription route, right? This needs to go that route as, you know, parents of the kids get diagnosed, uh, this needs to be prescribed. So the hypothesis is very different. They went after FDA, right? I think they just got it last year um, for Endeavor RX. Um, as you can see, neither one is right, wrong, or indifferent. Both are pretty successful companies, at least at the outset or looking in. Um, but one chose an FDA route, the other one did not. Um, so just, again, I think it depends on you as a founder or as an individual and your hypothesis of go-to-market. And once talking about prescribing apps or digital health solutions, DTX, how, like, what would be your best way to inspire and raise awareness about DTX among providers? So like most of physicians either don't know or don't understand why they should do that. So do you have any ideas around that? So there's a couple of things, right? And if we look at Germany and DIGA as the example, Mm -hmm. you know, from a regulatory perspective, and I don't want to say check, but just oversimplified, right? Um, I think the team there at the ministry and beyond went really, really progressive in setting the regulations around this. Two, reimbursements. And again, if you hop back over the other side of the pond to U.S., you know, the reimbursements, you know, there's pricing coming out now for both prescription and non-prescription. Yeah. But three, I think a key component is that so what, right? What's the aha moment for that physician that might or might not be treating ADHD? And what's the easiest thing to do that is also reimbursable on time and support? And I think the challenges I've heard is everything, well, how the hell do I do it? Mm-hmm. What do I get reimbursed for it, really, for even the time perspective? And I think the bigger concern is what is it really? Right. Because when I prescribe a drug, you know, that goes somewhere in the pharmacy, the pharmacist fronts that those questions. And what happens with the digital therapeutic? Does a pharmacist <laughs> get involved or does my office as a doctor get some of these support calls for lack of a better term? So I think, you know, there's still a lot more education to do on, again, what is it really? What's the benefit for the end consumer or patient. But also, I mean, let's face it, the incentives that I need to be there for the physicians and prescribers, both financially, as well as ease of prescribing and ease of use, let's put it that way. I think those are the key components that needs to be educated out there. 
Let's pivot now to your new company, your coach. I know there's an exciting story behind it. Tell us more about it and what problem does it solve? Yeah, so uh, interesting enough, the genesis was not as exciting, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So Marina, my wife, started the company, and part of that, she went through her own breast cancer journey and realized that while the system was amazing, we were living in Amsterdam at the time, they did forget about you know parts of her body, mind, and soul. She was body hacking, as she called herself, to health, and realized that she wanted to actually become a health coach herself. She formalized her studies, started practicing, and then went to co-founder, who was my co-founder in the previous business and said, hey, build me a, a toy to manage my own business. So the problem which she was trying to solve at the beginning, honestly, was for herself, because as she looked in the market, there wasn't any, I'll say, modern tools to manage a health and wellness coaching business. So created for herself over the course of, let's say, 2019. And in 2020, we officially incorporated the company, January of 2020. I also joined after leaving Big Pharma, and, you know, as we looked at, you know, the practice management solution and her goal was always, you know, how do I enable individuals to have a squad of health coaches going through the journey? Because we as individuals are constantly ebb and flow, right? Mm -hmm. We have different challenges week to week, day to day, but your overall wellness vision and goals, you know, should be the same, right? We all want to be healthy and happy. Well, what does that mean? How do you break that down? And health and wellness coaching as an industry has been there for about 20 years now, but only recently recently gotten to be legitimized for lack of a better term and we can go a little bit deeper into that so on one side she was trying to solve a problem for health and wellness coaches to manage their own business but very much realized that one of their key challenges is always finding new clients right and then you know what 2020 brought into focus for us all individuals is everything from anxiety to overeating to undereating in some cases mm -hmm. and a more holistic way and what came into the picture is how do we really given that everything is going around the world. So we've very much zoomed in and focused in providing uh, small, medium-sized businesses, you know, health and wellness coaching services, but powered by our technology and the platform that now has almost 1,700 registered coaches on the platform with a huge long tail of specialties, you know, underneath that. Because again, we're all individual. And so highly individualized health and wellness coaching services provided through the SMB market mm -hmm. in US. We're focusing on US mainly. Okay, so your focus is US and what is your plan for the development of your coach? How do you see this company in the next five and 10 years? Yeah, very good question. I think from the very beginning, we aim to you know work together with uh, bodies such as National Board of Health and Wellness Coaching, and ultimately together become kind of the health coaching authority in a sense, right? Our biggest hypothesis was that you know we first wanted to enable the supply side of the business, aka the coaches, and give them a virtual space and a community to practice. And on the other side, you know, if we look at the SMB market, as we started sort of dissecting, do we go to large employers? Do we go to individuals? We realized that while very different than going to large employers, 99.7% of the businesses in US are SMBs, 500 mm -hmm. and under, which comprise about 65 million individuals that are, I mean, many having challenges just like just people look around you, right? And so uh, our goal is, again, you know, to scale the health and wellness coaching services across, being able to provide that at a highly personalized but yet democratic price we obviously mm -hmm. need to get there over time and again the hypothesis there is that unlike 
many other companies that are hiring individual and putting cookie cutter approaches to these programs. You know, our big hypothesis is no, there are individuals as coaches and they know their specialty and there are individuals that require those services at a highly personalized manner because all of us are unique. So in short, we want to grow this to enable access to health and wellness coaching squads for as many individuals as possible in a preventative matter, Mm -hmm. (laughs) pre-chronic. That's a really, really great mission. And let's now take a more general and wider view on digital health. Where do you think the digital health industry is heading? I don't even know what digital health industry means these days, to be frank with you, right? You know, I know we haven't talked much about sort of financing, but if we look at some of the financing rounds and the SPACs in US Mm -hmm. specifically, but I think we're starting to see that bubble up here in Europe as well. You know, I've been having these discussions, like are these valuations absolutely insane? Because if you look at on one side, well, some of these companies that are going public, you can start seeing the numbers and we're not reaching even a small minority of individuals percentage-wise, right? Now, on the other side, I think the hypothesis is we're just going to start seeing, as I've been calling disease management and novel health services, you know, merge across that spectrum. Because mm-hmm. if you break down, and again, I'm, I'm using US as a system, but I think it's really the most expensive care is still in the hospitals, right? You know, followed by surrounding it and then only followed by, I think, pharmaceutical and drug costs, right? That's actually not in the first two. And so I think if the future of digital health and you know i think brian dolan's gonna laugh we joke around about this if we each had a penny every time somebody says well the future of digital health is just health in a digital world (laughs) right and and i'm guilty Mm -hmm. of this myself then i don't really know i think it's really enabling technologies that are here today now it's about impact right it's impact to health consumers it's impact to the cost of the system Mm -hmm. some of these growing costs is just not sustainable i think it's impact on our aging population which all of us are aging every minute right every second every nanosecond and so i think that's where how do we really extend our quality of life with our loved ones and stay out of the hospital systems right which is the most costly and so when you look at it from that perspective and lens well if the business proposition is let's invest i don't know i'm picking random numbers here 100 200 300 million into this unicorn all of a sudden but if they have the capability to move people both by the way horizontally so take uh you know a telemedicine service but also vertically and combining a much more holistic way of looking at you as an individual, right? Because again, comorbidity may mean so many things. And only in the last, let's say half a decade, we started realizing, holy crap, when you get diagnosed, God forbid, you may experience mental health issues with that, right? Mm -hmm. I think it was always looked separately. So in short, I do think that we're going to see some consolidation and everybody jokes around about being the front door to health. But I think that's the reality, right? It's, you know, how do we help individuals to stay as healthy as you can for as long as you can before you really end up entering the system, right? Which is the most expensive part. Notice I didn't use the word digital Mm -hmm. many times in that description at all. You're right. We should think about healthcare (laughs) and then about digital ways of, of getting there. 
health. It's actually, I know, and maybe I'm just picking at this, right? Because when you use the word care, you're, I think you're already assuming that you're a patient, mm -hmm. which does not, you know, combine with health, right? Um, <laughs> versus just health is, you know, how do we strive to stay happy and healthy, right? I know there's been a lot of debates on does the word health care go together or separately? Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. recently it got separated again by some dictionary. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, there was a big discussion around it. <laughs> so once talking about health, you started also to write a new book called Heart Pill to Swallow and also started to engage your audience through your great blog. So tell us more about the book and the concepts around it. Yeah, so I think so the going title is Heart Pill to Swallow. I'll be frank with you. I had a lot of energy and I wanted to commit every single Friday and I did great for the first four months. I think Frank, it's tough. It's very mm. difficult, especially as you get into much more sort of details of a particular anecdote, et cetera. And sharing some of those pieces on as a blog post becomes much more challenging. And, and not because of, you know, disclosing it up front or whatever, just more of how do I structure my thoughts given everything else going on. So I actually just um, looked it up early. I think I haven't done a blog post in like two months now, which I'm ashamed of on one side. On the other side, Hmm. You know, I'm super happy that there are hundreds of followers, but only the first two weeks have gotten where's your update. So I think there's enough newsletters <laughs> coming out. But the premise of this book was, again, you know, the going title of Heart Pill to Swallow is actually looking at the pharmaceutical industry and also large corporates of how to navigate decisions. You know, what does it mean to really drive innovation? What does it mean, digital health and pharma company? What does it mean, you know, digital therapeutic and how to navigate. And so mm -hmm. a lot of them are, you know, stories from life and the discussions and with many corporate players in the pharmaceutical industry of and boiling it down to sort of much more concrete, I'll say episodes for lack of a better term, <laughs> um, into it. So that's the goal. I have about maybe a hundred pages uh, at this point written. I don't have a target how big or small it should be. It's just a matter of sitting down and focusing. So um, I did set a goal for myself that I should even self-publish as a PDF by the end of this year. Um, that's my goal. I'm going to try to stick with it. Okay. <laughs> and I've noticed that one of the most popular posts was about the Oreo cookie effect. Could you tell our listeners more about the idea? You know, it's interesting. I uh, Thinking about it, maybe I should have even renamed the book to that because to me, at the end of the day, it's really not about pharma. Mm -hmm. It's really around large organization driving change, right? And I honestly have no idea if I came up with this term or I heard it and reused it somewhere, but I look at an organization that there's always great, great energetic, mm -hmm. uh, in this case, digitally savvy talent you know, pushing the change. So that's the bottom layer of the organization. Not always, but sort of like metaphorically describing it that way. But also there's many leaders that need to really walk the talk, not just say, well, we need innovation, right? And so once you cap it off and not just say it at the top level, but you're actually you know, walking the walk, talking to you are signing, you know, from a PL perspective, you're really making a push towards it. Mm -hmm. That's when I joke around the gooey, mushy stuff, you know, the stuff that actually makes the combination of all those pieces what makes the Oreo cookie taste good, right? And so you need those layers, and that's when the gooey, mushy stuff happens. So for me, it was a good sort of metaphor to describe the large organization that really needs to move mm -hmm. on innovation. 
Last question. What are your recent inspirations? Movies, books, articles? I'll be absolutely honest with you. My inspiration is my wife, Marina. Like I think the, you know, as being a CEO, mother, an amazing wife, a daughter, and there's so much things that are happening, you know, and up until this business, she was very much, you know, focused on the kids. Right. And so now a lot of that, I'm trying to take it off her plate. Right. <laughs> But, you know, it's, uh, so I think she's been my inspiration and uh, maybe it's a little bit because I, uh, she's been away in us for a couple of weeks. So, just uh it's the longest that we've spent apart in almost a year and a half eugene thank you so much for joining today it was so great to talk with you and learn about your new company thank you very much for the invite oscar and looking forward to uh talking to you soon